Let's uh, bow for a word of prayer for the message this morning. Heavenly Father, as we quiet our hearts, we ask that you would open our minds and our hearts to hear your word. As we look at your word here in Esther, you would enlighten us and, and bless us that we would take something from the, your words, not just Todd's words, but your words this morning that we would just hear what you have to say to us and, and use that in the coming weeks and months. We would be a light in this community and a light to those we come in contact with. Uh, once again, we just want to ask your blessing on the message this morning. In the name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Matt. So a couple hundred years ago, in it was a town way up north, they put a bounty on wolves of $5,000 a head. So every wolf that you brought in dead, you'd get $5,000 because this community had started getting overrun with wolves and they were causing a bunch of problems, um, eating the livestock and things like that. So there was this hunter named Rusty who heard about this and was like, okay, I want to get in on some of that money. So he calls his friend Fred and tells him about this. They're giving $5,000 a head for every wolf that we kill. Do you want to join me and make some money? So Fred's like, sure, I would love to do that. So that day they pack up all their hunting gear and they grab their tent and camping gear and they decided they're going to head out in the woods and the next morning they would start hunting wolves. So they get the camp set up and they're in the tent sleeping that night and partway through the night, Rusty gets woken up and he turns his lantern on and looks outside and the tent's surrounded with like 50 wolves all growling and snarling and saliva coming out of their mouth and you know these wolves are coming in on the tent and Rusty jumps up and wakes Fred up and says Fred you got to get up you got to see what's going on and he opens the door he's like look Fred we're rich see it's all about perspective that's what I want us to think about a little bit this morning is what perspective, what lens are we viewing our life through? What are we looking at? How are we viewing it? And I want to start by reading the last verse of Esther 8. We kind of went through there. This is where Mordecai and Esther have written this decree, a second law that gives the Jews the right to defend themselves if they're being attacked by any of the enemy on the 13th day of the 12th month. And this is their response to that law being sent out. And it says, In every province, in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for the fear of the Jews had fallen on them. So it says there was gladness and joy, a feast and a holiday, after this law had got passed in. It was probably Monday, and all of a sudden it hit me as like, why are they already celebrating? Why are they already full of joy and gladness and this holiday and feasting? That other law is still in place. That other first law written by Haman, the enemy of the Jew, to annihilate the Jews on the one day is still in place. That could still happen. So why... Are they now celebrating? Why are they full of joy and gladness now? Their circumstances hadn't changed yet. They were still living in a foreign land with this law still over them that on the 13th day of the 12th month, 
the enemies could destroy the Jews. Their perspective changed. All of a sudden, they were able to view it through a different lens, through a different perspective. Because up until that point, what we read is they were mourning, sackcloth and ashes, they were fasting, because the only law they had over them was a law of death. That in the 13th day of the 12th month, they're going to be destroyed. But all of a sudden, a second law gets put in place that gives them the right to defend themselves. And they chose to start viewing their life through that second law, even though that first law was still in place. And they must have realized through that second law that God was in control, that God was going to save his people. And they were so confident in that law, that second law, that it resulted in them rejoicing, being full of gladness, holiday feasting. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. I want to go to, actually, we're going to jump over those. Romans 8, 2, because I think we're in that same spot where there's been the first law. And here in Romans 8, 2, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So there's a law of sin and death. The wages of sin is death. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's an irreversible law. God is just. He will punish sin with death. That cannot be changed. But we also see now, for those who believe in Jesus Christ, there's a second law. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. So my question this morning is, which lens, which perspective do you have on life? Are you still living through the lens of the law of sin and death? Which I think leads to things like hopelessness, or fear, or anger, or envy, or greed, or lust, or addiction. Because you're still in condemnation. Because you're still living under that first law of sin and death. You're viewing life through that first law. Or are you viewing life now through that second law of the spirit of life? Because I think that's when we start having hope and joy and peace and perseverance. We're not living for ourselves anymore. because We're living under a new law. And here's the reality. We're still in that position, I, I believe, where the Jews are still at the end of chapter 8, where that first law is still in place, the second law has been put in place, but it hasn't been fulfilled yet. And we're living in that space, but what I want to draw us to is they were so confident that that second law was going to happen that they lived full of joy and gladness. And I believe that's what we're called to do today. That there's been a second law put in place that is yet to be fulfilled in its completion when Jesus Christ returns he will punish sin. It either happened through the cross, if you have faith and receive that by grace, or he will punish it then. So the question is, what perspective are you looking at life with? Do you still view life through the perspective of sin and death, or are you viewing life through the perspective of the law of the spirit of life? 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.10, he uses the phrase sorrowful yet always rejoicing. I started to really love that phrase. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And I believe as a church body, as a local church, and even as individuals, when we start living sorrowful yet always rejoicing, we will shine so bright in this dark world. Because there's a peace when we see brokenness and when we see evil that there should be sorrow in our hearts. When we see loved ones that are not following Jesus Christ, it should cause sorrow in our hearts. When loved ones we have are hurting, it should cause us to hurt with them. So there's a realness about sorrow. This isn't just some happy-go-lucky like, oh, let's just pretend everything's great and all we do is run around joyful. There is a real sorrow here living in a broken world. But don't miss that part. It says, yet always rejoicing. And that's where like, I stop because that sorrowful part I don't think is that hard. Like just turn the news on or just drive home today and you'll see brokenness. We know we deal with sickness. We know we still have to deal with death. We know there's loved ones that are not following Christ. So that sorrowful part I don't think is a hard part, but yet I started thinking about yet always rejoicing. My question is how do we live there? That even in the sorrow, yet underneath that sorrow, in that sorrow, we're always rejoicing. And I really believe when the world sees that, when they see us being real, hurting with them, compassionate for them, and yet under that there's this rock-solid joy, this hope, this peace. There's this peace that we can turn on the news and see war, and yet we still have a peace there that can't be shaken. That our hope doesn't get shaken regardless of what the circumstances are. And when the world sees that, I think that shines very, very brightly. So I believe the way we grow in that area of being people who are always rejoicing, I think it's by having the perspective of viewing life, not through the law of sin and death anymore, but through that second law of the spirit of life, the gospel. I want to read a couple verses. You can, if you want to, you can flip to 2 Corinthians. Actually, I'm sorry. Let's read in Esther first, right? That's what we're going through. Just to make sure we all know the outcome of this. So I want to read, getting excited and getting ahead of myself. I'm going to read the first five verses of Esther 9. Just to make sure that we know, I'm guessing most of us do, that this turns out well for the Jews. Um, So it says, Now in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. Like that, that's a really good phrase. The reverse occurred. The day when they should be destroyed, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one could stand against them, for the fear of them had fallen on all peoples. All the officials of the provinces and in the satraps and the governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews 
for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread through all the provinces. For the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and did as they pleased to those who hated them. So God was faithful. He saved his people like he said he always would do. I want to jump to the end of chapter 9. I'm trying to be a little briefer this morning because we are going to celebrate communion. So Esther 9, we'll read 20 to 22. It says, And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same, year by year, as the days in which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. What I want to call our, our attention to is this idea that this is all about remembering. They actually call this the day of Purim, because if you remember way back when Haman was trying to decide which day he was going to destroy the Jews, he was shaking the dice, the Purim, and it came out that it was going to be on the, the 13th day of the 12th month. And it's almost like the Jews are saying, God even controls the dice. In other words, we're remembering that, yeah, Haman thought he was going to destroy us and use this, you know, the dice to figure out this day. And now they're remembering the day that the providence of God has come together, has orchestrated all these things, got Esther and Mordecai where they needed to be, and God saved them from the enemies. So they celebrate this day, and it's a day of remembering. And what hit me is it says, Turn for them from sorrow into gladness, from mourning into a holiday. That sh- they should be days of feasting and gladness. And, and again, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to end today with, with the singing and worship is as we go, as we remember that we end with, with celebration, with singing, with praise, because we're going to spend a few minutes remembering. But one of the things that stuck out to me is they remembered not only what God did, but they also remembered who they were before God intervened. It says sorrowful, so they remembered being sorrowful. They remembered being under just that one law when there was, they were living literally, men and women like you and I, looking forward to that 13th day of the 12th month when they would be destroyed. They, he said, remember that sorrow. Remember how that felt to know that you're going to die, that there's been an irreversible law. So he's calling them not only to remember that, because here's what I think we do sometimes. We want to just remember what God has done, and we can forget about who we once were, where we once were heading. And I think what happens is we can end up lukewarm, because all we focus on, and again, I want to be careful, because we should spend most of our time focusing on who we are in Christ and what he has done. But I think sometimes we forget who we were, There was a day that each one of us had the sentence of death on our heads. We were heading to eternal hell. We were enemies of God. And if we don't remember that, I think the magnitude of the cross and the gospel and what he saved us from loses its glory, loses some of just the magnitude of what happened because we can just get comfortable. And I know we wouldn't say it, but it's almost like I deserve it. I deserve Jesus to die for me, and we forget who we once were. And I know it's not comfortable to think back on that, but again, 
I want to verify it in Ephesians that this is something we should do. So I'm, I'm going to read a good chunk of Ephesians 2, but I want to start with verses 11, 12, and 13. It says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by the hand. So he's, he's talking really to us. But he's saying, therefore, so again, we're going to go back and read what he's, what he's pointing at. He's saying, therefore, so he's just talked about something. He's saying, therefore, remember. And again, we know the communion table, Jesus keeps saying, do this in remembrance of me. So he's saying, remember, but the next verse starts again. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And again, this is a command here to remember. This isn't Paul's suggesting, you know, if, if you want to remember. He didn't come along saying, I, I, you know, now that you guys are believers, I want you to stop thinking about who you once were. Because... Let the magnitude of this hit you. That each one of you at one time were separated from Christ. You were not part of God's people. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. In other words, you had no right to claim these promises that God made for his children. No hope without God. That's a horrible, horrible place to be. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But I think we have to be careful jumping over that first section just to get to the now, but now in Christ Jesus. Yes, let's stay there most of the time. Like I continually tell us, remember who you are in Christ. Absolutely. I think at times, probably more than we do, we have to remember there was a time where you were without God. And this isn't a without God like you didn't have some cognitive information about him. It means you were his enemy. It means that God was against you. It means that you had the sentence of death, that God's wrath was on you. Eternal separation from God. Eternity in hell. That's who each one of us once was. And when we, even if it's for a brief moment, let ourselves go there. Because I believe we've even been commanded to go there and remember that. How bright does the cross shine? How glorious does it become that he broke his body and gave his blood? So we could say, but now. Let's go back to the beginning of chapter 2. He kind of does a little bit of the same thing here. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Have you ever thought about it that at one point Satan was your father? Does that not make it so glorious that God is now your father? Do you think that's why we maybe are so mediocre and lukewarm sometimes in our praise because we forget sometimes. I do. 
among whom we all once lived, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And Paul's saying, remember this. Don't forget this. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were dead in sin, but God made us alive with Christ. We were captive to the prince of the power of the air, enslaved to the course of this world, but God raised us with Christ and made us sit with him in heavenly places. We were children of wrath, deserving of an eternity the torments of hell. But God, instead of pouring out wrath, will spend eternity showing us the immeasurable riches of his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Talk about a great reversal. And that's... So we're going to take communion here in a few minutes. I'm going to have the leadership team come up. But first... I want to take about three minutes for us just to remember and spend a little bit of that time, even if it's uncomfortable, remembering who you once were. I don't care if you were saved at five. There was a time when you were a child of wrath. There was a time when you were an enemy of God. You were a time when your destination was, was hell. But don't stop there. Please don't stop there. But God... Rich in kindness. So we're just going to play a little bit of music, but I just want you to, I invite you, we're going to take a few minutes just to think, just to remember. Then we're going to celebrate communion together, and then we're going to worship and praise God. life through a different lens, a different perspective than the law of sin and death. You can now view it through the law of the spirit of life. We're going to have communion, I guess a few instructions, because I know we have new people here and visitors. Um, if you're here and a visitor, you're welcome. The, I guess the qualification for partaking is being a born-again believer, that you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that he is the only way. So if that's you, you're more than welcome to join us as as part of this. You're also welcome to just observe as well, so don't feel uncomfortable if you want to just stay in your seat as well. So I'm going to invite the leadership team up and their their wives. Um, They'll each grab a basket of bread and and juice and stand on each section. So we'll kind of have each section come to the one, the couple in front of you, and We're going to just have some music playing, so come up. We don't have to rush through it, but just, again, a time of remembering. 
maybe a little bit of who you once were and a lot of bit of who you now are in Christ. So I want to read from Luke 22, the Lord's Supper, then I'll pray and then I'll just invite you to come up. So Luke 22, verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Father, I thank you for loving us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for saving us. Thank you, Jesus, for willingly going to die in our place to make a great reversal possible. I pray that we would be a people that remember Remember who we were without you, but more so, God, that we would remember who we are in Christ, and that even as we're waiting for that day when you return, that we would live sorrowful yet always rejoicing, that we would be a people that irregardless of the circumstances, we'd be rejoicing, we'd have a rock-solid joy and peace and hope in our lives. Father, I ask that as we partake of this communion, you would bless us that this would be a blessing to you. All right, thank you. The worship team, if you guys and ladies would like to come up, I want to just read a few verses in Revelation as they're coming up again, just the two perspectives. In Revelation 19, I'll read start in verse 11. It says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then in chapter 20, chapter 21, I'm sorry, a section that I I love to read, and I hope this is the perspective, because there is that perspective that Jesus is coming, and he will punish sin. But for those that believe, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. 
And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. We can live in that perspective, that that is going to happen. And I think that is what fuels us to be able to live sorrowful because we do live in a broken world. There is hurt and there is pain here. There are loved ones that we hurt with. But also when that is underneath that, that rock solid truth that he is coming back, and there will be a new heavens and a new earth, we can always be rejoicing because our circumstances can't change that. So let's stand. I'm going to pray and then let's sing. And I encourage you to get loud if you desire. So Father, I thank you. I thank you for this hope that we have, this new perspective that we can live life in, that we no longer have to live under the law of sin and death, but now we're living in the law of the spirit of life, of the promise of new heavens and a new earth, that you will be with us. Help that to overwhelm us this morning, that amazing truth. Bless each person here. And Father, I pray that we would glorify you now. In Jesus' name.